Welcome to The Hearth, a podcast where we meet new people and ideas that challenge us, inspire us, and bring us home to ourselves. I'm your host, Candice Elliott. Welcome to The Hearth, brave souls. Today, Maris Bergrun is going to be joining me. Maris is someone who I met last year and have been learning from. She is a ritual animist, oracular medium, and a singer and musician. She specializes in a practice called Norse Sather, and our conversation, we get into that. She also specializes in oracular and sound mediumship, spirit-mediated healing, and ancestral healing. Her practice is characterized by the intention to partner with only the most wise and compassionate aspects of spirit to foster relational harmony between humankind, our ancestors, and our other-than-human kin. She helps people develop healthy relationships with the spirit world with an emphasis on boundaries and discernment. Her healing practice supports the realization of soul fullness, self sovereignty, creative voice, and personal freedom. Welcome to our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me, Maris. I'm curious, what is the fire that came up for you as we were getting ready to record? It was uh, Bridget's Bridget's flame. So the, the sacred fire, the eternal flame of the goddess Bridget, who is a Celtic goddess. And I actually wasn't expecting that because I, I prepared a different fire <laughs> in advance. I was thinking about a fire that I bring through, but that's what showed up when I closed my eyes. And so I related with kind of the eternal fire within, but also uh, the creative spark. And for me working, uh, the relationship with the goddess Bridget is about that creative spark. And, and so I also felt like it's like a torch. And so there was a message to me in that, which is being passed the, the torch, if you will. How did you come to experience this fire the first time? It was through working with the goddess Bridget mediumistically. Uh, and sometimes when we meet a spirit in that way, they can, they'll can they show us things or they'll bring forward places or things that they're associated with. Um, so she's associated with that fire. Okay. And so she's also associated with wells in particular, so like a water source as well. So the dynamic between water and fire. And so it was through just wanting to connect with her and having those things arise in the moment, in that, in that space of connection. Thank you so much for sharing. Can you tell us a bit more about the work that you do? I think we're getting a little insight to it now, but I would love to know more about your work and how you came to be doing what you are doing today. <laughs> I do many things. Uh, so, and there's always this question of like, what to call myself too is an ongoing <laughs> evolving thing as well. And how to, 
what to call myself that communicates to people really what I do. Cause that's a bit of a challenge sometimes as well. But you could say I'm a ritual animal <laughs> is one kind of bit of terminology that's becoming more prevalent today. So I work, I do ritual work and I work it with the animistic framework means that I interact with the world as a living consciousness and that there are aspects of the world that are visible, that are living consciousnesses. Uh, there are invisible conscious beings as well. And then there's an ethos of being in relationship with those, um, with the, the world, the conscious world in a, in a mindful way with principles like reciprocity and right relationship coming into play. I also do something called oracular mediumship. And I use the term mediumship a little bit differently than how it's commonly known. This is where language can get a little interesting. But yeah. basically, as a, it's a, I write about it on my website more. But it's essentially that it's a form of intuitive and psychic connection that also involves an aspect of, you could say, getting a sense of the vibe of the spirit or their resonance or different degrees of embodiment of those beings as well. So you, there's a sharing of consciousness in a way. And my version involves working with different types of spirits and working with the most wise and compassionate aspects of spirits. So not just any spirit, but just to distinguish it as from working exclusively with deceased people, which is how the, the term is often used and, and popularly known. So I can speak to deceased people, but if you come uh, for a mediumship session with me or do my my class training, we're actually not working with that particular demographic, ironically. <laughs> um, an extension of that is I work with it. Uh, <laughs> I work with it a Norse animistic framework, so I'm very much into Norse mythology and cosmology. And that came from doing a practice called Sather, which is a form of Norse-based shamanistic practice and mediumship. So I do that as well. And then I'm also very deeply involved in ancestral healing. And that's how we came to meet each other was that after my son was born, I felt this call to um, get to know my ancestors and somehow they must have put you in my life so mm -hmm. that we would be able to, to do that together. And um it's been so meaningful to have a relationship with them. I'm curious, what have you learned through that experience of having a relationship with your ancestors? Why is that something that you want to help other people do too? Well, cause it's a game changer. <laughs> I mean, think about like, you could have the most loving, insightful, wise elders and family members, you know, supporting you and giving, giving us you know, just love and support and guidance for our lives. Like they're the best mentors. Like they, they know their descendants so well because we are them and they are us. So the, the quality of the relationship is just really, really high. And having the support of our ancestors, having, I should speak for myself, because that was the question. Yeah. Um, so there are a few things I can say about it. I mean, it, it's, it's one of those things that really changes the fabric of how I am in the world and how I do things. So it, it has this really kind of holistic impact on my life. And so it's a little bit hard sometimes to piece out aspects of it. But one aspect I can piece out is that 
two things that changed for me from do, from getting in touch with my well ancestors and doing that process, um, the ancestral lineage healing process, is that one, that question of that a lot of people have that I had too, which is kind of like, do I belong here? And what am I here for? Like these big questions of life really quieted down a few years, but I don't really think in those terms anymore. I don't have those questions. There's always a question of how do I best maybe express myself in the world and, you know, what's my path and following that evolution over time. Uh, but I don't question belonging here on earth and I don't question really what my place is even, even though that's a, a growing, uh, you know, that's always a place of growth for me. So that's one big change. The other change was that I felt like I was a bit of the, the black sheep of my family. <laughs> and I, so I come from a very secular, non-spiritual, not even religious uh, family. And there's actually a bit of a, my extended family has branched out in, in the recent years, but, but a lot of people don't even in my family don't understand what I do or why I do it. Um, and so I felt like a little bit of the outsider in that sense. And also as part of that, you know, I had a little bit of a sense of like, well, you're not belonging in my family. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that ancestral lineage healing did for me was it, it, it also eliminated that feeling. So, so, you know, I make sense in my family when I, when I connect with the broader ancestry. So maybe not so much in my immediate family, but when we connect with the wise elders, they're the ancient ones, you know, my, my position and my family made sense to me, started to make sense to me. And it also just helped me again, that question within me kind of quiet down or, initially and then eventually disappear where I no longer feel like I don't belong in my family either, even though I'm doing work that's uh, my life is rather different than theirs. So it's been very healing in that sense. Yeah. I've noticed through this process that I have been able to appreciate my living relatives in a way that was more difficult before. Like I couldn't see them for who they were and their complexity. And that I guess growing up, I always felt like I also didn't belong. I moved when I was really young. And so that just kind of like as a very young person experiencing, you know, being separated from the community where I felt I belonged, just sort of like followed me through my life in my twenties and, you know, like through becoming an adult. Um, and it's almost as if I don't feel that sense of not belonging anymore because I know that I belong within this larger thing and that there are ways to connect um, that I didn't see as available before, which has been really, um, healing, very healing. Yeah. Yes. And it can be really one of the, one of the most, well, one of the very helpful areas that our wise and well ancestors can help us in is in our relationship to our more immediate living family. And not that we have to not have boundaries with people or anything like that, or that things get miraculously solved. You know, the family issues are miraculous 
miraculously solved or anything like that, but they can help us have perspective as to um, how to be in, in a good relationship, you know, with whatever conditions are present mm-hmm. and that from our own, from our own perspective. Yeah. So they're really good at giving perspective. Can you tell us a little more about your experience of Sather and how you learned that this practice? And I'm actually now in Maris's class, which is um, called Gather at the Well, where we're learning about this and we're early on. Um, so there's much more to come, but I would love to know more about your personal experience with this practice. So when I first started out on what you could call my you can call it a spiritual path, but really my life path and my life's work path. I started out in the realm of shamanistic work and healing. Okay. And I did that for several years. Uh, and at some point, uh, I encountered a workshop on Sather that was being offered by Betsy Bergstrom, who's in the Seattle area, and decided to take it, not because I actually had felt like I had an affinity for anything Norse. I actually didn't at the time, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but because in the description that uh, there was working with staffs, working with the world tree, which was appealing to me. And then also there was a type of journey process where you sing yourself on a journey. And that sounded appealing to me. Uh, a colleague and friend of mine was also taking it. So we decided to do, to do it. And it was a four-day, I think, intensive. So we went to a retreat center, and we were you know, there all day for four days. And it, it also changed <laughs> my life. It changed the course of things, changed the, <laughs> the fabric of my life, if you will, uh, because yeah. it really it, it landed in, such, in a way that made me feel like I had come home to, I had come home to something. I felt mm-hmm. at home with it. And that I could like feel it in my blood and my bones. And there was a resonance with it for me that um, like I was you know, crying at one point, you know, tears of you know, happiness <laughs> and healing uh, yeah. because it just felt so cool to come home to that practice. Yeah. So it's a, uh, for people who aren't familiar with it, it's a, in this form in particular, it's a form of mediumship. Uh, oracular mediumship, which means that the mediums give voice to what they are experiencing. So a medium is going to share their consciousness consciously with a compassionate aspect of the the Norse powers, a deity figure, for example. And then they're going to give voice to uh, what they are experiencing from that conscious, from that being. Uh, And so you can bring questions to them. You can ask for a blessing for them and and ask for guidance from them. And so after this first experience, then how did your journey go after that? Did it just open up a huge doorway into Norse mythology and all of that? Or how did that happen? (laughs) It did. So I don't know if it's because I have a science background, but but because I have a science background, I was familiar with the idea of primary sources. Yeah. So primary source and research is the first um, study that's done that's then cited in other studies, you know, for example. But it's good to actually not just rely on the, the, the cited study, but actually to look at what the primary research was uh, in a lot of cases. So, so kind of going back to the source 
uh, once I started to stay there and, and made connection with, say, Freya and Odin and, and those, those deities, Norse beings, I became interested in learning more about them and was looking online. But, of course, online sources are <laughs> kind of all over the place. And what I saw was different types of information, sometimes contradictory information. And my question was, well, where did all this come from? What's the basis of our knowledge in this arena and that led me to yes start looking into you know the oldest sources that we have on norse mythology and cosmology and i did that over time so i did that in bits and pieces over several years when i started there wasn't a lot available and now <laughs> there are so many videos on youtube and books there's the work of Phil Haug, and then there's an academic scholar, Jackson Crawford, who has, yes, they have, there's tons of videos out now, among other people too. So, but that can also get a little broad and sometimes confusing. So I do find it useful to have some kind of grounding and foundation in the actual uh, source literature, which again, is just the oldest literature we have uh, available to us these days. Yeah, and then I incorporate that into my classes. So <laughs> the Gather at the Wall class that you mentioned you know, includes that material as well as yeah. a foundation. And then we do experiential processes from there. So part of Sather is having a staff. And so I'm curious to know what is the, the function of the staff and the relationship of the, the person who's practicing with their staff? So there is archaeological evidence that there were staff carrying people, cirruses in particular, uh, that are associated with uh, in particular maybe the the Germanic tribes on the continent, maybe also Celtic ones, um, that general area, as well as in Scandinavian areas as well, countries as well. And so there are people who are buried with staffs. Uh, sometimes they're metal, which is why they survived the the archaeological record. And there's an occasional wood one that also survives if it's in the particular conditions that allow that to occur. Mm-hmm. And so we have evidence that this was that the that a staff carrying person uh, was a very old part of the the society and culture um, of you know the, in these regions of of ancient Europe. There's even evidence that uh, they interacted with the Romans, which is how we have some information about them as well. Um, and there, uh, there's even one case where the name of one of these cirruses or women is Valuberg, which means uh, fortress or mountain of the wand or staff. Mm. Literally, is what their name means. Uh, and, uh, was part of the Roman. <laughs> Empire at some point, and there's, but they're from the Germanic tribes. She was from the Germanic tribes, um, so we know historically that there were people who did who did that. And then the medieval Norse literature or Icelandic literature also speaks about staff carrying people, in particular um, women who are called valer, uh, which means just basically a female person associated with a staff. It's an awkward translation, but that's really what it means. Okay. <laughs> they are characters in especially the saga literature, but also some of the other literature, the poetic literature from the time. Okay, it's a roundabout way to get to this. But uh, so what's the role of the staff is 
Well, we don't know exactly how they use this desk because they didn't leave us any how-to manuals, unfortunately. Uh, but the way we use them today is um, as an extension of the world tree, which in the Norse mm. uh, cosmology is called Uthrasil. Mm. Then there's our energy body is tree. <laughs> so they are also connected to our energy, energy bodies. Um, and what we do with them, well, one of the things we do with them is we journey with them. So they help us journey. And when we do something which is called sitting on a high seat, which is one of the forms of that oracular mediumship process, uh, the people who are sitting on the high seat will have staffs and the staffs are part of the transmission of the healing in that context. Okay. There will also be people with staffs who are helping ground um, those sitters. Um, so they're also helpful for grounding, but they're basically helping uh <laughs> i'm going to call them objects because they're <laughs> they're going to be animated <laughs> so uh, those are some of the things the, the the ways we work with them and then when you feel called to speak something during this um ritual is the vocalization that that people make is it it's just different kinds of sounds or are there words that come through or kind of a mixture of all of those things? I only know to ask this because of a, a class that I took with you that was about just uh, one of the things that we did was just to vocalize whatever sound was coming through. Um, and so I'm curious about that part of it. Well, it's, so there's, there's two things there. So one is a practice called Galver. And Galver is, again, a practice that's referenced in Old Norse literature. It's also referenced in Old English um, literature. And again, we don't know how it was done, but it is some kind of sung or vocalized, toned uh, incantation. So some way of working with spirit or magic in a way that uses the voice. And there's different ways of using the voice in that context. One is just kind of a free form. It can also include possibly animal sounds. <laughs> there are indications that maybe animal sounds were involved, or the sounds also are described as being kind of high pitched and maybe not exactly pleasant. I don't know. <laughs> so they don't have to be, so it's not singing uh, in a deliberate sense. But yes, it's connecting mediumistically to some, uh, to an intended source of connection and then making sound from that place, and that's Golder. Okay. Now the high seat often doesn't involve Galder. It it could potentially, but it's more of a uh, of a spoken exchange and also just an energetic transmission. So those are the two elements to that. So the mediums on the high seat are going to be again sharing their consciousness with, say, um, only the most wise and compassionate Freya, and then they're going to be speaking as Freya in okay. that case. Which doesn't mean that they're going to sound different necessarily, because to some extent, you know, the because the mediums are present, uh, this is not a form of unconscious mediumship, in which case there may be a more of a uh, dramatic change in how the mediums are behaving. Uh, but in this case, it's conscious mediumship, which means the mediums are giving voice to what they're perceiving, uh, but it's going to sound like they're speaking to you. Although sometimes there's a little bit of a shift in how someone is speaking a little bit, uh, but it tends to not be a dramatic shift. Mm, okay. And then another part of the high seat, 
disgusting energy transmission. If you go to one, there's like a vibe to it. And if you approach one, that's what we, in the role that we call a seeker, where you have a question for the high seat or want to ask for a blessing, then you're really kind of in this energetic transmission zone that involves some amount of uh, maybe oracular information that you get from the mediums, but it also involves an energy field of transformation and healing. And so that's part of the process as well. Thank you for explaining. If um, people are interested in learning more about all of this, where would you recommend to start? Yes. Okay. Where to start? So it depends on also whether they want to start more didactically or more experientially. A good place to start actually just to to get into it is to, I would say, to look up the videos and books of Maria Philhaug. You can supply a her name. Yeah, I can add a link. Maria Kvilhaug, I think the way she sets up the material is, is brilliant and really sets the, sta- the stage for there to be a, a, a lot of depth to the experience of getting more involved in the, the literature and the, the Norse mythology and cosmology aspect of things. Uh, I offer an on-demand class called Language, Myth, and Magic, which people can just sign up for and do at their own pace. It's a video course. And this course I, I created because basically to make it easier for people to do what I did over several years. <laughs> so again, when I started getting into this, we didn't have all these YouTube videos and whatnot. So I had to buy a lot of books and do you know, a lot of research and put things together. Uh, and then I started to teach it because you know, it was useful uh, to, for people to have you know, it organized for them and to make it easier to get into. So that's a course that I offer uh, and that's didactic. And then if you want to get experiential, the course I offer is Gather at the Well, Norse Animism and Oracular Sather. And that will take, that will provide the information from language, myth, and magic, as well as add an experiential component. So we'll actually, which is where the where a lot of the, the soul food comes in. So Rick Philhack's work is soul food to me. There's a lot of wisdom in it and, it, and it allows me to access that wisdom aspect of the Norse mythology and cosmology, which is not usually emphasized anywhere else. <laughs> and, um, but is really rich, was surprisingly rich to me. I was actually surprised at how rich it actually is. Um, and then there's the experiential component where you actually have a direct experience of, of, the cosmology as well as the Norse powers. So the deities as well as we'll meet beings like um, one of my favorites uh, things to do is to meet a uh, Berg buoy, which is a mountain dweller. Oh, I'm excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So meeting some like spirits of the land and that kind of thing as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Is there anything else that was on your mind that you wanted to share? I don't think so. That that feels good. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. (laughs) Thank you for listening in. If you liked what you heard, hit subscribe. So you know when the next episode drops. And if you haven't yet, check out my guide to doing work differently. It's linked in the show notes.